Judges chapter 14 tonight. We've been slowly working our way through the book of Judges on uh, Sunday nights off and on. And we return tonight to this book. And uh, the last time we looked in the book of Judges at chapter 13, we looked at the story of, of Samson's birth and, uh, and learned some things uh, that I hope were a help to us in our walk with God. And uh, when we think about Samson, he's probably the most famous of the judges. Um, somebody tell me, when I say Samson, what, is, what do you think of? What do you think of? Somebody tell me, what's the first thing that pops into your mind? Hair, hair okay. Long hair, right? Ended up being a, a little bit of a handicap for him in the end there. All right, what's something else? Strong, strength, yeah. Those massive feats of strength carrying the gates and pushing down the, the pillars of the temple. What's something else you think of? Not smart. <laughs> He's right. It's funny how sometimes we idolize these Bible characters. Um, and, it, you know, in some ways I, I understand when you're teaching children in children's church in Sunday school, there's things about certain Bible stories you really don't dwell on or anything like that. Uh, but... You know, when you read the life of Samson, if we're honest, he really was not a good role model. In fact, if you were to take his life and do the exact opposite, you'd be on a better track. You'd be close to being on the right track, in fact, because Samson had a lot of faults. Now, just to review, the book of Judges covers a period of history about 400 years. Uh, during that time, Israel did not have a king. Uh, they were ruled by a series of judges who were not like courtroom judges today, but they were more like military civil leaders. And they would lead the nation into victories and battles and things, and then they would kind of uh, oversee the country. And what you find as we go through the book of Judges is that they get progressively worse and worse. We start out reading about some of them, and they're really not that bad. But by the time we get to the end of the book, it's just awful, some of the things that we read. And there's a couple of verses at the end of the book of Judges that really summarize the problem that was going on in Israel's culture at that time. It says that every man did that which was right in his own eyes. You see, it was a time of spiritual anarchy. When people just did whatever they felt like doing... And the result was chaos and destruction. And so there was this vicious cycle that happened throughout the book of Judges where people would turn away from God and they would worship idols. And as a result of their idolatry, God would judge them by sending a foreign country to invade them and to oppress them for a time. Eventually, people would get tired of the oppression and they would turn to God and God would deliver them. He would raise up a judge who would free them from the oppression and they would enjoy a time of peace and prosperity again for a while. But then, after a little bit of peace and prosperity, they would go back to idolatry and the cycle would start all over again. Now, Israel at this time had been in one of those downward uh, portions of the cycle where they had been uh, worshiping idols, and as a result, God had sent the Philistines in to oppress them. But now God is going to raise up another judge to deliver them, and this judge is named Samson. Tonight, we're going to be looking at Judges chapter 14. We're going to cover the whole chapter tonight, the 20 verses that are there. And the, the title of the message tonight is this, Samson walked by sight and not by faith. Walked by sight 
and not by faith. Let's look at verse number 1 of Judges chapter 14. And Samson went down to Timnath and saw a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. And he came up and told his father and his mother and said, I have seen a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore get her for me to wife. Then his father and his mother said unto him, Is there never a woman among the daughters of thy brethren, among all my people, that thou goest to take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said unto his father, Get her for me, for she pleaseth me well. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, help us as we look into your word tonight to be able to focus for these few minutes on the truth that you have for us. And Lord, may we all... Be warned by the story of Samson that we will see tonight about the devastating consequences of being controlled by our feelings and our desires instead of walking according to the truth of the Bible. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we open with these verses tonight, we find Samson has grown up into a man. We don't know exactly how old he is. Indication is probably he's a a younger man. So I'm going to guess he's probably in his 20s. It seems kind of fitting the way the story goes. In chapter 13, we read about how the, the angel of the Lord came and told Samson's mother and later his father that Samson would be born and that he was to be uh, set aside for a special purpose. And in order to show everybody and to demonstrate to everybody that Samson had a special job, he was to be raised according to the law of the Nazarite. Now that's a law that was given back in the book of Numbers that if somebody wanted to dedicate themselves to the Lord, they could follow this very strict lifestyle to indicate to other people that they were dedicated to God. Now among the things that they would do is they would not cut their hair and they would also not touch dead things and also they weren't allowed to eat anything made of grapes. They couldn't drink grape juice, they couldn't eat raisins, they couldn't eat fresh grapes, nothing like that. Now all of these things were simply indications to other people that they were dedicated to the Lord. It was called the law and the vow of the Nazarite. And that's how Samson, from the time he was a little boy, was raised by his mother and his father. Now we know that they did raise him that way, particularly because of his hair. Right? Everybody thinks of Samson and that long hair. Listen, he didn't do that for fashion's sake. He did that because it was, according to the Old Testament law, a way to show his dedication to the Lord. So we come to chapter number 14, and the Bible tells us in verse 1 that Samson took a little trip. He went to this town called Timnath, which was a city of the Philistines. Now right there we have to ask ourselves a question, why in the world is Samson going to visit the Philistines? What's he thinking? What's his purpose? Why is he leaving God's people to go mingle with those who do not worship God? In fact, these people were their oppressors. They were making life hard for them. But he goes down and he visits in this town of Timnath. And when he was there, he saw a woman of the daughters of the Philistines. He sees this beautiful young woman and he decides, I've got to marry her. I've got to have her. She's the one that I've been searching for my whole life. And so what does he do? He goes back and verse number 2 tells us he goes back to his mother and his father and he says, notice his words. Verse number 2, and said, I have seen a woman in Timnath. Now mark that down. The very first spoken words of Samson in our Bible 
are the words, I have seen. That's going to become a recurring theme in Samson's life. That what he does and the decisions he makes will be determined by his senses. What he sees, how he feels, what he wants to do. Now one of the things that Samson, we remember about his story, that eventually when he's captured by the Philistines, what do they do to him? Do you remember? They put out his eyes. It was his eyes that caused him so much trouble throughout his story. And ultimately, it was his eyes that were put out in the end. But he comes back and he says, I have seen. Not I have met, I have talked to, I spent some time with. No, he just saw her. He made a decision based on appearances alone. He made a decision based on a simple observation of this young woman that she was the one that he was going to marry. I mean, this is practically a Hollywood script right here. You think we're talking about a Hallmark movie, don't you? You know, He sees this woman and he knows right away, this is love at first sight. This must be the one. There's a big problem here, though. She was a Philistine and Samson was a Jew. And according to the Old Testament law, the Jews were not supposed to marry the Philistines. He comes to his parents in verse number uh, 2, and in verse number 3, they respond. They say, Is there never a woman among the daughters of thy brethren and among all thy people that thou goest to take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? Samson, why do you want to marry a girl from that heathen country? They're not worshipers of God. They're not followers of Jehovah. Why in the world would you want to marry her? Now, at first, it seems like he was seeking to honor his parents by going back to them and requesting that they get this girl to be his wife. But the truth is, he was only seeking their involvement in order to validate and facilitate what he had already decided he was going to do. Young people... Let me warn you about something. Be careful about making up your mind before you ask advice. I see it all the time. People come to you wanting advice on a situation. And you start talking to them and you find out real quick, they've already made up their mind. They don't really want to know what I say about this situation because when I tell them what I think, they argue with me. When I tell them I don't think that's a good idea, they tell me while I'm wrong. And it becomes very apparent that, you know what, they've already made up their mind what they're going to do. They didn't come to me because they wanted wise counsel. They came to me because they wanted validation and they wanted somebody to facilitate the decision that they've already decided they were going to make, to make it happen for them. See, that's what Samson wanted him. He did not go to his mother and father and say, Hey, Mom, Dad, I met this girl, and, and I think she might be the one. Uh, can, can you come with me and meet her and, and help me make a wise decision here? That's not what he did. Because notice verse number 3. His parents warned him and cautioned him, Hey, th- can't you find a girl amongst God's people to marry? But Samson said unto his father, Get her for me. Notice this next phrase. For she pleaseth me well. Get her for me. Here we have a son commanding his father. You see how backwards this is? Already in Samson's story, we find out that he has got some very seriously misplaced priorities. He's very, very confused, very headstrong, very stubborn. 
And his decisions are being made based on what he wants, not what God wants. He said, she pleaseth me well. What pleased him well about her? The only thing he knows about her right now is what she looks like. She's beautiful, so I want to marry her. But the problem was that God said no. God had said in Deuteronomy chapter 7, He said, When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land whither thou goest to possess it, and hath cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than thou. And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them, and shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. Neither shalt thou take, make marriages with them. Thy daughter thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. That's what God said. But Samson didn't care. Because she pleased him. He liked how she looked. His response was one of rebellion and stubbornness. Get her for me, for she pleaseth me well. You know, it's not until verse number 7 in this passage that we find out he actually talks to her for the first time. He was enamored by her beauty. She just looked like the kind of girl that he imagined he wanted to marry. It's amazing how many times our imagination gets us in trouble. We think that this would be the best based on appearances. We think that's what we've always wanted. We think that's what will satisfy. Samson thought, that's the kind of girl I've always wanted to marry. Well, he was wrong. She was the kind of girl that God had specifically said, don't marry. This is a, a good point to pause for a moment and be reminded that relationships that are built on superficial things don't last. Things like attractiveness, fame, wealth, influence. If that is the only basis for your relationship, then it is doomed from the beginning. There is a reason that celebrity marriages seldom last, okay? It's because often that is all they're based on. Fame, fortune, attractiveness. A Christian must look beyond those things. Now, let me say, especially to our young people who are hoping to one day maybe get married. I'm not telling you you've got to marry an ugly person. All right, Caleb, there is hope for you. Somebody will marry. All right. What I am telling you is this. There are things that are very, very important and much more important than just appearances. And if you will submit to God's working in your life and you will follow God's pattern, I guarantee you, you will be happy with the outcome. You don't have to worry, well, if I surrender to God, He's going to make me marry someone ugly. Your future spouse may be thinking that about you, all right? You don't have to worry about that. God will bless you. What's more important is that you look beyond the superficial things and you consider matters of the heart. And for every Christian young person, at the top of that list should be this question, is this person a Christian? Do they love God? Are they living for God? Are they walking with God? Are they surrendered to God's will? These are the kinds of questions that every Christian young person should ask when considering who they're going to date and who they're going to marry. And let me say this, you ought to involve your parents in that process. Now, I don't care if you call it dating. I don't care if you call it courting. I don't care what you call it. I believe your parents should be involved in that process. 
that you should seek genuine counsel from them, not artificial counsel like Samson did. And if that other person is not a godly person, is not someone who loves the Lord and surrendered to Him, then you need to stay away. It's a recipe for disaster. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 says in verse 14, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? Or what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Had Samson followed that pattern in his life of separating from evil instead of seeking evil, he would have been a lot better off. Now we look down at verse number 4 and we read this, Judges 14 verse 4, But his father and his mother knew not that it was of the Lord, that he sought an occasion against the Philistines, for at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. Now this presents a little challenge here. On one hand, we read where God says that his people were not supposed to marry those who were not people of God. But now we read in verse number 4 that this whole thing of Samson trying to find a wife of the Philistines was of the Lord. What? Isn't that a contradiction? What, what does this mean? Did God change his mind about what he previously said? Was he contradicting himself? Now, what's important to understand here is what is, what is the Bible referring to when it says that it was of the Lord? Was it of the Lord that Samson marry a Philistine? The answer is no, emphatically. And as we'll see in the story, the marriage never was followed through on. But this is an instance where God is allowing someone to go down a path that they've chosen, that though it is against His revealed will, God is still going to use it to fulfill His purpose. That's the sovereignty of God. Sometimes we wrestle with and we struggle to understand. How can God take sinful choices that are against His revealed will and still use it for His ultimate glory and our ultimate good? How does that work? Now, I don't pretend to have all the answers. But let me just summarize it to you this way. We have a choice in this matter of God's will. We can either choose to allow God to rule over us, which is the best way to do it. Choose to submit to God's will. Choose to do what God wants us to do. And when we follow God's perfect will for our life, we find that our life is blessed, it's fulfilling, we are satisfied, we are joyful. That's the best way to do it. We can allow God to rule over us or we can reject the revealed will of God and God will overrule us. In other words, we can choose to go against God's will, but that's not going to stop God from doing what He has decided He's going to do. You cannot change what God has decided He's going to do. He will do what He in His sovereignty has decreed He will do. Numbers 23 verse 19 says, God is not a man that He should lie, neither the Son of Man that He should repent. But He... Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? 
Jeremiah 27, 5, the Bible says, I've made the earth, the man and the beast that are upon the ground, by my great power and my outstretched arm, and hath given it unto whom it seemed mean unto me. God says, I've created everything and I overrule everything. God is sovereign. Now let me say, this is not permission to sin. You can't take this truth and say, well, great, I'll just do whatever I want since God's going to overrule me anyway. Listen, you're still going to have to deal with the consequences of your sin. This is not to be misconstrued as permission to just live however you want. Instead, it should be a warning that if you go against God's will, life's going to be hard. There will be consequences that you have to deal with. But it should also be an encouragement to us that no matter what happens in our life, God can and will use it for our good and His glory. See, here's the thing. There are a lot of times when other people make sinful choices that affect us. And if God was not sovereign, if He was just reacting to all the choices that people were making every day, trying to figure out how to make the best of a bad thing, we would be in a bad place. But that's not God. God has a purpose and God has a plan and there is nothing that can happen to us in our lives outside of that purpose or plan for us. God will take all things and He will use them for our good and for His glory. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them that are the called according to His purpose. All things. That means good decisions and bad decisions. That's how powerful... That's how sovereign God is. Now notice verse number 5. Then Samson went down, or then, then went Samson down, and his father and his mother to Timnath, and came to the vineyards of Timnath, and behold, a young lion roared against him. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he rent him as he would have rent a kid, that is a young goat. And he had nothing in his hand, but he told his father or his mother, told not his father or his mother what he had done. So here they are. They're going down to Timnath. Mom and dad have said, all right, son, let's go down there. Let's meet this girl. And on the way there, they come to a vineyard. Now let's pause for a moment. Samson had been raised under the vow of a Nazarite. What was a Nazarite supposed to avoid? Avoid cutting his hair, avoid touching dead things, and avoid grapes. But he's in a vineyard. Now, I don't want to belabor this point, but I think that's pretty telling right there. That on the way to visit the wicked people of the world, he finds himself passing through a place that would defile him. So he's in this vineyard, and the Bible says that a young lion roared against him. So this lion comes up and apparently is going to attack Samson. Now, lions are some amazing creatures. They're extremely powerful. How many of you have cats at home? Okay. Many of you. I said cats plural because most people have more than one. I don't, I don't know why. But cats are interesting animals. We call them domesticated, but I just want to let you know they're using us. All right. The only reason they hang around is because we're making life easier for them. All right, underneath that soft, purring exterior is a wild beast. If you don't believe me, stop feeding it for a little while and see what happens. And so this, this, 
This, this young lion comes against Samson. He's in a place he shouldn't have been, going somewhere he shouldn't go to do something he shouldn't do, and now this lion starts to attack him. I can't help but wonder, should that not have been a warning to him right there? Hey, maybe I shouldn't be going this way. But also in this we see an illustration of the grace of God because the Bible tells us that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And God gave him the supernatural ability to kill this animal barehanded. He literally ripped it apart with his bare hands. That's pretty impressive. And the Bible says that he went out and he didn't tell his father and mother what he had done, which indicates to me there probably wasn't a scratch on him. I mean, can you imagine if he had come out uh, from this encounter and he's got claw marks all over him and blood dripping down? His parents would have been like, what happened to you? Did you fall into a blender or something? You look terrible. I don't think, they, I don't think there was a mark on him. And God gave him the ability to do this. Now, can I just use this as a quick illustration before we move on? You know, the Bible tells us that we have an adversary, the devil, who has a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. How are we going to defeat that adversary? Are we going to do it in our own strength? Let me tell you, if you try that, you will fail. Because the devil is so much more powerful than you and I that there's no way we could defeat him in our own strength. The only way that we can have victory over Satan is through the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Holy Spirit. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Verse number 7 says that he went down and talked with the woman, and she pleased Samson well. So here we find he finally meets her. He hasn't even talked to her to this point. He goes down, he has a conversation. And again, we have this statement that she pleased him well. That, my friend, is what Samson lived for. He lived to please himself. He was only concerned about pleasing Samson, not pleasing God. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 1 says, Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. As a Christian, our life should be lived to please God and God alone. We don't live to please others. We don't live to please ourselves. We live to please God. And in order to do that, we have to walk by faith. If we're walking by sight, if we're living our life to fulfill our own desires, and if our decisions are being made based on what we feel like doing, we cannot please the Lord. Romans chapter 6 says, Romans chapter 8 rather says, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. When you are living according to the desires of your sinful flesh, you are not pleasing God with your life. Hebrews eleven six says, without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. If we're going to please God, we have to walk by faith. If instead we walk according to the flesh or we walk by sight, we will not please God. Now notice verse number 8. The Bible says that after a time he returned to take her. It's probably been a few months at this point, but he turned aside, verse number 8, to see the carcass of the lion. 
And behold, there was a swarm of bees and honey in the carcass of the lion. And he took thereof in his hands and went on eating and came to his father and mother and he gave them and they did eat. But he told them not that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. So after a little while, he goes back to uh, officially become engaged and eventually, he's hoping, married to this Philistine woman. It's probably been a few months because there's been time for the lion's carcass to deteriorate and time for bees to build a hive and for the honey to build up. So probably a few months. But now we have to ask ourselves a question. As he's going down to Timnath, why did he take this detour out of the way to go and look at the carcass of the lion. Why would he do that? Why, why would he say, hey, mom and dad, I'll be back in a minute. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go over here and check on something and not tell them what he was doing. Could it be that this is an example, of maybe a little bit of pride in Samson's life? He wants to go and take a look at that lion carcass and his kind of a trophy for him, if you will, a testament of his his strength and his great ability. But he goes down and he, he sees this carcass and he notices that there's honey in it. So what does he do? He gets it out. Well, why is this a problem? Well, let's back up again. What was involved in being a Nazarite? Couldn't cut your hair, couldn't eat grapes, and what? You weren't supposed to touch dead things. But notice what's happening here. He sees this hive... He can see the honey in it, and he thinks to himself, that honey looks good. I'm kind of hungry. I've been walking all day. Go down to Tim now. There's that honey there. I'm going to get some. So he reaches down. Do you think it's possible? Do you think it's plausible that he could get that honey out without touching any part of that lion carcass? I don't think so. He's going to have to touch the dead thing in order to get that honey out, but he doesn't care. He doesn't mind defiling himself to get the thing he wants. And so he reaches in and he takes the honey out. Then notice what he does. What he does is he goes back up and meets up with mom and dad. Hey, mom, dad, I found some honey. Here you go. And he passes it on to them. He doesn't mind involving others in his sin. Now, why did he give them something to eat? Was he just being... Kind and generous? I don't think so. If anything, I think he's wanting validation again. It can't be that bad if mom and dad are doing it, right? You see, Samson saw the honey. He craved the honey. And he was willing to sin to get the honey. And this was a pattern in Samson's life. We're going to see things all the time that look good to us. And we're going to think, I wish I had that. If I had that, I'd be happy. I would be satisfied. Life would be better. But in order to get that thing, we would have to sin. We have a choice to make. Are we going to obey God or are we going to follow the desires of our sinful flesh? We go all the way back to the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3. We find when Satan tempted Adam and Eve... He came to Eve, and what did he do? He told her that that fruit was actually something good. The fruit that God said, don't eat it. He led her to believe that it was actually something good for her. The Bible says that she saw that it was a tree to be desired, that it was 
good for food. Why is it that so much sin involves food and drink? I think especially about alcohol. You know, if we were to do away with alcohol in our culture, you'd be amazed at how much crime would go down. Back during the pandemic, there was a country in, in, uh, in Africa. I'm, I'm not going to try and share the details because I'll get it wrong, but you can look, look this up and fact check me, all right? There was a country in Africa. Brother Riffle, you shared this story with me. That during the pandemic, for a time, they shut down all alcohol sales. sales. And you know what they found out? Crime plummeted. The emergency rooms were practically empty. The police had nothing to do. Why? Because everybody was sober. So they weren't going out and committing crimes. They weren't getting involved in uh, domestic violence. They weren't doing all of these things. Why, why do you think that the world, when they, when they party, that they always drink when they do it? it it's all connected. You see, there's, food is not bad, but it, it can become something that is a, a temptation for us if we're not careful. And there are certain things that God has told us to avoid. But why is it such a lure? Here's the reason. We like it. It makes us happy. It makes us feel good. And this is how the devil works. He takes God-given desires and he tempts us to fulfill them in the wrong way. And that's how he gets us to sin. James chapter 1 says, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So Samson goes and he defiles himself in order to get something that looked good to him. Now notice verse 10. I know you're checking the clock. You're thinking we're halfway through the chapter and it's already 10 till 7. Trust me, we're going to go a little faster. Verse 10, so his father went down unto the woman, and Samson made there a feast, for so used the young men to do. And it came to pass, when they saw him, that they brought thirty companions to be with him. And Samson said unto them, I will now put forth the riddle unto you, if ye can certainly declare it me within the seven days of the feast, and find it out. Then I will give you thirty sheets and thirty change of, raiment, of garments. But if ye cannot declare it me, then ye shall ye give me thirty sheets and thirty change of garments. And they said unto him, Put forth thy riddle, that we may hear it. And he said unto them, Out of the eater came forth meat. Out of the strong came forth sweetness. And they could not in three days expound the riddle. So his father goes down to the town and he arranges for this engagement to this young lady. And the Bible says that they had a big engagement party. Interestingly, they had to bring Samson some friends here. Did you notice that? They had to bring him 30 companions because he apparently didn't have any of his own. And they're at this engagement party. And early on in the engagement party, Samson, maybe he's a little bored, he decides to uh, make a little bet. Did you catch that? That's what it was. This was gambling here. This was a bet. He said, I'll bet you... I can stump you with a riddle. And if you can't guess the answer to the riddle, you owe me 30 sheets and 30 changes of garment. But if you can guess it, I'll give each of you a sheet and a change of garment. 
He wanted to come away from this feast with something to show for it. And he gave them this riddle that was designed so that no one could possibly know the answer. I mean, let's be honest, this was not a very fair riddle. If you didn't know the story, would you be able to guess the answer? Here's the riddle. Out of the eater came forth meat. Out of the strong came forth sweetness. I mean, that is so, like, nebulous and obscure. Nobody's going to possibly guess the answer to that. And sure enough, after three days, they couldn't figure it out. Samson probably thought he was sure to win. Now, when did he come up with this riddle? We don't really know. But it could be that he even kept the whole thing with the lion a secret from his parents for this sole purpose, so that he could use it to his advantage later. Look at verse 15. It came to pass on the seventh day that they said unto Samson's wife, Entice thy husband that he may declare unto us the riddle, lest we burn thee in thy father's house with fire. Have ye called us to take that we have? Is it not so? And Samson's wife wept before him and said, Thou dost but hate me and lovest me not. Thou hast put forth a riddle unto the children of my people and hast not told it me. And he said unto her, Behold, I have not told it my father nor my mother. Shall I tell it thee? And she wept before him the seven days while the feast lasted. And it came to pass on the seventh day that he told her. Because she lay sore upon him. And she told the riddle to the children of her people. I don't think Samson could have anticipated this, but this little game of his turned into a life or death situation. The Philistines came to his bride-to-be and said, Listen, did you bring this guy down here just to take our stuff? You better find out the answer to this riddle and tell us, or else we're going to kill you. And they meant it. And not only are we going to kill you, we're going to burn your father's house as well. And so she goes back to Samson. She's obviously upset. Asks him to tell her the answer to the riddle. Notice his response, verse 16. I've not told it my father nor my mother. Shall I tell it thee? What a low view he had of his parents that he would not have told them about this. He certainly was not honoring his father and mother. What a low view he had of his wife his wife-to-be. A man is supposed to leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, as Genesis 2.24 says. But he says, in essence, my parents are even more important than you and I hadn't told them. Why am I going to tell you? And the Bible tells us that she cried and cried until she, he finally told her. Now, I don't think she was being manipulative here. I know it's hard to imagine that a woman would use tears to manipulate a man into doing what she wants. But I don't think that's what's happening here. I think she is genuinely distraught because she knows if she doesn't find out the answer, she's dead and all her family with her. So finally, he tells her, the world's strongest man was defeated by a persistent woman. Verse 18, the men of the city said unto him on the seventh day before the sun went down, What is sweeter than honey? And what is stronger than a lion? The answer to the riddle. And he said unto them, If ye had not plowed with my heifer, ye had not found out my riddle. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon and slew thirty men of them, and took their spoil, and gave change of garments unto them which expounded the riddle. And his anger was kindled, and he went up to his father's house. 
But Samson's wife was given to his companion, whom he had used as his friend. So the men come to him, and they give him the answer to the riddle, and immediately he knows what happened. Because there was no possible way that they could guess honey and a lion. There's no way they could have done that. And the only person he told was his fiance. He knew what had happened. She had told them. And whatever he meant by, if you had not plowed with my heifer, it wasn't a compliment to anyone, I'll tell you that. Certainly not his bride-to-be. Guys, dating tip for you. Don't call your girlfriend a cow. It's not going to end well. But the Bible says, this, this uh, phrase is used again, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. At this point, God takes over in the situation. This is what God has allowed this to go on for, for, for this whole time, for this specific purpose. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon him, and he goes to this town called Ashkelon. It's about 24 miles away, by the way, from where they are, and he was going to have to walk there. This was a good day of walking. This was enough distance that what would go on in Ashkelon wouldn't quickly be told back in Timnath. So he goes down to Ashkelon, and he kills 30 Philistines. This is God using Samson to begin to deliver his people. He comes back and he gives these changes of garments to these men who had, had given him the answer. But the Bible says in verse 19 that his anger was kindled then at that point. Up to this point, when he went down to Ashkelon, that was the Spirit of God moving him. But now Samson took back over of his own life and his anger was kindled. And the Bible says that he went back to his father's house without his bride-to-be. And in fact, she married another guy. Probably one of those 30 that were there at the engagement party. God ultimately prevented Samson from following through with this ungodly marriage. With his choice to pursue marrying a Philistine. God ultimately prevented that. So we cannot say that God tempted him to evil. We cannot say that God led him to evil. God superseded in this whole situation. Now let's conclude with just some simple application. What do we learn from this story of Samson? Among, the other th among all the things we learn, we learn this. That when we allow our feelings to control us, we are living carnal, sensual lives. A little vocabulary for you here. The word sensual means according to the senses. And many people are living their lives based on how they feel. Well, I feel like this is right. I feel like I should do this. And our world today is dominated by people who are operating on their feelings. Can I tell you that your feelings are terrible at telling you what to do? If we walk in the flesh, we will have to deal with the painful consequences of our sinful decisions. Turn to Galatians chapter 5 for a moment as we close. Galatians chapter 5. I want you to look with me at verse 16 of Galatians chapter 5. 
God says, this I say then, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest. Listen to this list of works that the flesh produces. That when we live according to our flesh and our feelings and we walk by sight, this is what happens. The works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murderers, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. When you walk according to the flesh, those are the kinds of things that will come out of your life. Those are not things that you should desire. Those are not things that will result in happiness and satisfaction and joy. Instead, we need to walk according to the Spirit. And verse 22 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. Don't walk according to your flesh. Don't live according to your feelings. Walk by faith. When we walk by faith, God is pleased and our life will turn out better than if we lived for the pleasure of of our flesh because we won't have to deal with the guilt and the shame that comes with sin and instead we will get to enjoy the blessings of God. Don't walk by sight. Walk by faith in obedience to God. With heads bowed and eyes closed tonight, we're going to close in a moment with a brief time of invitation and a word of prayer. And this is a time for each of us to consider the truth of the message tonight and what decisions we need to make in light of this truth. All of us are tempted regularly to walk by sight and not by faith. We're tempted to do what we feel like doing rather than what God says to do. And whenever we do that, We have to deal with the painful consequences of sin. Instead, we need to surrender our lives to God. Say, Lord, I want to walk by faith and obedience to you.